all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Tonight, Upper 30s. I'm meteorologist Sally Russell. This is Think Radio. MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Is your child having difficulty staying awake during the day? Are they having problems with school performance? Well, you know, it just might be due to a lack of good sleep. Today's topic is healthy sleep, and if you have any questions about why your child is not sleeping well or what's happening with sleep during the night, or maybe there's some problems going on, we would love to hear from you this morning. You can reach us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. Two top House Republicans say Attorney General Jeff Sessions should recuse himself from any investigation into Russian interference in the presidential election. As NPR's Scott Detrow reports, the calls come after reports that Sessions met with Russia's ambassador over the course of the campaign. NPR and other news outlets have confirmed Sessions met two times with Russia's ambassador. That's something Sessions denied to the Senate Judiciary Committee during its confirmation hearing. Jason Chaffetz, the top Republican on the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, tweeted that Sessions, quote, should clarify his testimony and recuse himself. Democrats have been demanding Sessions remove himself from key decisions in the FBI probe into Russia's possible electoral interference. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy agreed during an appearance on MSNBC, saying recusal makes sense for, quote, the trust of the American people. Scott Detrow, NPR News. Earlier today, Senate Democratic leader Charles Schumer questioned whether Sessions deliberately lied under oath in his confirmation hearings and called for the attorney general to resign. The head of the U.N.'s nuclear watchdog agency meets with senior Trump administration officials in Washington this afternoon. NPR's Peter Kenyon reports the nuclear agreement between Iran and six world powers is expected to head the agenda. International Atomic Energy Agency chief Yukia Amano meets Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who's called for a full review of the deal. President Trump frequently calls the accord the worst deal he's ever seen and has suggested renegotiating parts of it. IAEA inspectors are monitoring Iran's compliance with the deal, which is intended to sharply restrict the Iranian nuclear program for at least a decade. The agency's last quarterly report showed a significant cut in Iran's stockpile of enriched uranium, a nuclear fuel. Iranian leaders have said if the U.S. violates the deal, Tehran will, quote, set fire to it. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Istanbul. 
The Pentagon says that U.S. warplanes struck al-Qaeda's branch in Yemen overnight. This appears to be the first American military action there since a special operations raid in which Chief Special Warfare Operator Ryan Owens was killed. The strike comes at a time of heightened sensitivity to the U.S. operations and questions about what was gained by the earlier strike. The company Snap, which owns the social media app Snapchat, has begun trading on Wall Street today, opening at $24 a share. NPR's Sonari Glinton explains why this IPO is being watched carefully. Well, Snapchat sort of rules the 18 to 34 demographic when it comes to social media. Young people spend about 25 minutes a day and visit the app 18 times. But the problem for Snap is how to make money. NPR Sonari Glinton on Wall Street, the Dow retreating from yesterday's all-time high, down 39. This is NPR. Hosni Mubarak has been cleared by Egypt's top appeals court of involvement in deaths associated with the 2011 uprising that ended his 30-year rule. The decision was announced after an all-day hearing in which the court also rejected calls that civil suits be reopened closing the door to appeal or retrial. Mubarak has been free after serving time in prison, but he has been confined to a military hospital for medical treatment. A United Nations Security Council delegation has begun a week-long fact-finding mission to African countries affected by Boko Haram violence. NPR's Ophabia Quistarkton says the team hopes to find a comprehensive approach to tackling violent extremism. The UN Security Council delegation is visiting Nigeria, Niger, Chad and Cameroon. The four neighbours have been the targets of extremist Boko Haram violence that has killed thousands of people and driven several million more from their homes since the start of a seven-year insurgency. The French ambassador to the UN, François Delattre, says this first such Security Council mission to the region will offer full support to the country's hardest hit by Boko Haram terrorism and assistance for the humanitarian crisis. The delegation says Delattre will encourage strengthened regional cooperation, help for the most vulnerable, and prioritize addressing the root causes of the troubles. Ophelia Quistanton, NPR News, Johannesburg. The Senate has confirmed Ben Carson as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. The vote for the retired neurosurgeon was 58 to 41. I'm Louise Schiavone, NPR News, Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Cy Sims Foundation, since 1985, supporting advances in science, education, and the arts towards a better life. More information is available at CySimsFoundation.org and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show kids at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and welcome to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. You know, sleep is one of those topics with health that's extremely important to normal health and development in all kinds of different ways, physical, emotional, 
but it doesn't get a whole lot of attention unless you have problems with it. And certainly with most things that we talk about here on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, if you can prevent it and go into something with a routine, that's going to that's probably going to correct about 90% of those problems. We're going to talk about some of the issues around sleep, why it's important, what are some of the impacts of sleep or the lack of sleep on a child's health, and what you what can you do uh, to get them back on track, and when do you need to uh, investigate a little further if they have problems. So we would love to hear all kinds of questions that you might have about your child's sleep. You can reach us this morning by calling one 877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline dot org. And this is a common question that comes up in uh, in visits, particularly with younger kids. Is like, how can I get these kids to sleep? What's good sleep? How much do they need? Do I need to wake them up? What about during the day? Nap times? These questions abound. Uh, with a lot of different people. Even if your child has a great sleep pattern now, you know, something might happen down the line where that might change. Well, we would love to hear those questions from you this morning. So give us a call with those, and we'll be glad to try to tackle those as we uh, talk about that. So why do we need sleep? So humans, along with lots of other animals, have sleep patterns. And most of these, uh, at least for, for humans... Uh, involve sort of a diurnal pattern. So in other words, during the daytime hours when there's light, you're awake. During the nighttime hours, you're asleep. Now, of course, it doesn't start out that way, but that's sort of what we merge into over time. Now, there are some exceptions to that. And some people, you know, particularly if they have work patterns as they get older, uh, where they're awake during the nighttime, you can reset those things. But there's still the body sort of hardwired for that so that when there's light outside, you tend to be more awake. And uh, there's great uh, research and in looking into the receptors that actually plug into the brain directly from the eye. So some of those retinal receptors are very sensitive to light levels and different wavelengths of light. So the different types of light that we're exposed to, whether that's indoors or outdoors, can have different effects on awakening our brain or telling our brains that it's time to sort of shut down things and go into those sleep cycles. So we all need sleep. Uh, Great research uh, early on in the Army and NASA has some great research on adults uh, with sleep deprivation. What can that do to you? Uh, Not only does it impair things, we've done a lot of research in this in the medical community, uh, which has led to a lot of changes in the way that we um, in the in the shifts that um, that our medical students and medical residents uh, work in the hospital, uh, and uh, sort of what medicine's becoming more shift work because of some of the uh, uh, consequences of a lack of sleep in people. So that if you get uh, even if you have um, uh, you know one or two hours of sleep that you're missing every night, that has an accumulative effect on somebody such that. It can affect your memory. It can affect lots of tasks that you do. Uh, great evidence on, you know, if you're not getting, uh, if you're up uh, more than about uh, 16 to 24 hours, uh, your cognitive test and physical test are, are certainly slowed from what their baseline would be. And really, there's a lot of similarities between uh, sleep deprivation and uh, being intoxicated with alcohol. So, uh, you know, driving home while you're sleepy. Certainly that's why we have limitations to, uh, you know, in the truck driving community and 
uh, other mass transportation industries that that limit those um, those hours that you can work because of the the decrease in what you're able to do. So we all need sleep. And there's lots of cool stuff that happens during sleep, too. Most people think, well, you just need to rest to sort of recharge your body. But the details of it are really, uh, actually, we don't even know all the details, but some of those details are in recovery of the body's systems. And so a lot of that can be physical. Uh, there are two uh, types of sleep that happens every night, and you sort of cycle between these, and every age is a little bit different. We'll talk about that in a minute, about the different uh, percentages of time in each of these sleep. But basically, uh, there you can look at it at a number of ways. You, there's lots of different stages of sleep, but basically there's REM sleep, which is R-E-M, not the band, uh, not not the group, although we could, I guess we could play that. Uh, nah, not really. Okay, we'll work on that. So so there's REM sleep, uh, which is it stands for uh, rapid eye movements. It's one of the things that, that characterizes that cycle of sleep. And then non-REM sleep. And in non-REM sleep, that's really when you divert more uh, blood flow to your muscles, to the other organs in the body. It's a repair cycle, if you want to look at it that way. Um, you're not really doing any active dreaming during those those times, but it's a time when the body can repair things. Uh, you know, uh, if you look at athletes, so we have a lot of, of body of evidence about sleep and how important it is, particularly when you step up the level of activity, you do require more sleep so that you can repair those uh, those muscles, those tendons and joints. Uh, and any kind of damage that you accumulate. Good example of that: Tour de France, one of the uh, you know one of the premier long distance events in the world every year. If you look at those guys and what they do uh, when they you know ride every day for for a good part of a month, uh, and the amount of tear, wear and tear that they have on their bodies, you know they're when they get through with the stage during the day. They take a nap and then they can sleep. You know, if you look at the total amount of time that they sleep, both with the nap and at night, you're looking at maybe 16 hours a day. But they need that for that rejuvenative properties that happen during uh, during sleep. So that's that that non REM sleep. There's a lot of hormonal changes that occur then, and a lot of these are those repair hormones or so cortisol levels and other levels in the body are sort of manipulated during that time. Well, for a kid. That's a great time that you can uh, look at growth and development of lots of different tissues. And non-REM sleep does uh, is is a, there's a major increase in a lot of those processes during that time. So that's that's usually part of that sleep cycle. And you can it's not a continuous thing. Sometimes you can go into non-REM sleep followed by REM sleep and cycle back and forth throughout the night. So another. Um, and the other part, major part of sleep is REM sleep. And this is rapid eye movement. So this is a time when the brain is very active. Uh, it's processing thing. We know that if you interrupt REM sleep, but you get the other parts of sleep, uh, that you interrupt the brain's ability to process the information that it's accumulated during the day. Uh, and that includes memory, complex processing of learning different skills, uh, so REM seems to be REM sleep time seems to be tapped into those processes so that if you if you you need that in order to learn new things in order for your memory to work well and part of sleep deprivation even if you got you know say 10 hours of sleep if you don't get the REM sleep portion of it you feel terrible and you have a lot of problems and if it goes on long enough you can have some psychiatric issues as well so a lot of 
um, a lot of uh, neurotic behaviors and, and psychiatric behaviors can manifest during those times. And again, there's a lot of research on keeping people up three or four days or interrupting that sleep that we, we know can affect that. But it's very important in childhood development. We're talking about sleep this morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We'd love to hear any sleep questions that you have about your kids. Maybe they're keeping you up at night. Maybe you need some sleep because of them. Give us a call this morning and we'll try to help you out. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. So what about the changes during times, uh, you know, starting at birth? We all know that babies sleep a lot more, and generally they're going to sleep, you know, usually in the first three months of life or so, they're going to sleep about uh, anywhere from about 10 to 18 hours a day. And that's not continuous in time. Usually that's for periods of about an hour to two hours at a time, and they have absolutely no reverence for day and night cycles. This is what really, you know, for parents and uh, caregivers, it really can uh, can interrupt their sleep cycles. But basically, those one to two hours of a time, uh, they're they're sleeping and awakening. So uh, if you look at their non-REM to REM sleep ratio, it's about 50-50. Babies have the most active REM percent of time during that sleep at, when they're sleeping. Um, and again, that's probably related to the to the processing that their brains are doing, trying to to learn all these things. Um, but you know, they they can express the need for sleep in different ways, and this is one of the challenges I think, particularly for new parents, to figure out. Okay, my baby's crying. You know, how do I know if they're hungry? If they have a, a dirty diaper? Uh, how do I know if they're sleepy? And every child's a little bit different in those cues. Most parents within about a couple of weeks can sort of tune into that and say, okay, I know that they're, they're sleepy during those times. But they do give, give pretty significant cues that the, the parents or caregivers can, uh, can pick up on. Let's go to Alvin in Mobile. I think Alvin has a question about melatonin for kids. Good morning, Alvin. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, uh, my uh, daughter has an eight-year-old son, and uh, I spoke with her about taking melatonin a few years ago when I started taking it, and she tried it on her son in very small doses, as in one quarter to one half of a five milligram tablet. Uh, helped him go to sleep because he's hyperactive. But we have uh, read some things about the possibility that that taking melatonin for almost anyone might not be a great idea because it may diminish your body's capacity to produce it and particularly so in children. And so I was wondering what you think about that. Yeah, thanks, Alvin, for for that question about melatonin. Melatonin has been used for a number of years to sort of reset sleep cycles. And what we know is it's most useful if you have a delay of sleep. Uh, For instance, uh, it's been been looked at in, in the most of the trials have been looked at in adults where you have an adult that has maybe they work night shifts and they come off a night shift and they go to day shift or they have international travel uh, quite often where they're going through different time zones. And once you get on a sleep cycle so that, you know, if, if your normal bedtime is about, you know, let's just choose eight or nine uh, at night, if that's your normal bedtime, after a while your body gets used to that to the extent that it's it's set on that. If you interrupt that with different circumstances, and that can be, again, light plays a big part of that, Melatonin is the hormone that's sort of the trigger that the body makes itself 
to trigger that day-night cycle to say, okay, it's time to, to sort of kick in our night processes and get sleepy and go to sleep. So it's it's most useful if that's been interrupted in one in you know in some ways. Now it has been looked at in kids, as you mentioned. So an eight year old that'd be fine. We don't know of any uh, dangerous side effects from it. Certainly, any medication, either over the counter or prescription, has the potential to cause a side effect. So you want to look out for that. But it tends to be mostly pretty innocuous in in kids. Uh, an eight year old certainly you know old enough to to take that if they're having problem, problems going to sleep. Uh, to your question about it, is it causing some problems in the internal hormone system of melatonin, uh, the answer to that is probably a, at least a little bit yes. We just don't know what kind of effect that is. And if you stop taking melatonin after a while, uh, it, it appears that those normal melatonin levels go back to where they're supposed to be. Your body, every hormone in the body has a, a system of feedback so that if you're getting hormones, you know, externally for whatever reason, uh, that your body's going to produce less of that. And that makes sense if you think about it because it's it's a feedback system saying, hey, I got enough melatonin right now. I don't need any more. I'm going to shut down that system. But if you stop the melatonin down the road, you know, say a couple of months down the road, you might want to, you know, just have, uh, have them come off of it just to see what happens. Maybe even wean off of it, you know, if they're taking, say, you know, one milligram or three milligrams, you can go down on the dose for uh, maybe a week and then um, and then try to stop it. It's always in, in these types of medications, it's always a good thing, you know, to try that periodically. Uh, but certainly we know it's safe. We know it doesn't really have a whole lot of side effects and normal growth and development. Kids have been taking it long enough that we haven't seen a whole lot of, uh, you know, side effects with that. But great question. And, and you know, I'd pay really... A, a a medication like that, even if it's over the counter, is not a magic bullet. So, in other words, you want to do uh, some of the same things we would advise with the environment of going to sleep, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But you know, bright lights—they need to come down at night. You don't need to drink any caffeine, anything that's going to stimulate the brain to stay active uh, later in the day. But certainly, melatonin's fine to use. I wouldn't I, <laughs> I wouldn't lose any sleep about it. But uh, but it's it is something to. Uh, to consider in kids, and, and we think it's probably safe. So thanks for that question, Alvin, from Mobile. And uh, we're going to go to a short break, and then we, ah, there's our REM. When we come back, we're going to touch base with Heidi, who has a question about sleep. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We'll be right back after this. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Nora McInerney isn't interested in small talk. I want the big talk. So her podcast cuts right to the heart of human tragedy. Everybody has these kinds of pain, and it's different brands for all of us, but that is a way of connecting. Nora McInerney's podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking, this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio.
MPB Think Radio goes off the beaten path with diverse perspectives and award-winning content, attracting an audience who appreciate honesty and value. Sound familiar? Reach your target audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and we're talking about sleep today, why it's important, what are some of the problems with it, and uh, got lots of good uh, questions waiting. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Wayne in Kemper, who has a question about night sweats. Good morning, Wayne. Uh, yes, I have a question. Uh, I've been bothered with night sweats, sweating very profusely uh, right after I go to sleep. This has been happening since I was about 10 years old. Uh, do you have any information on what's the cause of that? Yes. Or does that indicate some other disorder? Yeah, so night sweats are it's fairly common. Uh, a lot of people have those, and they can be they can sort of run in the same family. There are some conditions that you want to watch out for. Uh, those tend to be either inflammatory conditions from infections uh, or autoimmune processes. But those are almost always have other things that are going on. Probably one of the classical ones is um, is tuberculosis. So if you're if you've been exposed to somebody with tur- tuberculosis. You'd want to get checked out, particularly if you have night sweats. Uh, and if it was accompanied by a cough uh, or weight loss, certainly those are other things that I would watch out for or a rash. But if you're not having any other problem, you know, it may just be the way your body's designed. And, you know, one of the things that I was going to mention about the environment of going to sleep is temperature. So our bodies are, are pretty, you know, it's pretty hard if it's really hot in the room to uh to go to sleep, to initiate sleep. So uh, that's something else to think about. Of course, you know, you may have somebody that's there in the bedroom with you that uh, they like for it to be a little bit warmer. So sometimes you got to strike a healthy balance. The other thing is night sweats, true night sweats that are, you know, you should talk with your physician about are the type of night sweats where if you take off, uh, you have to t- you change your clothes. So if you wear a T-shirt to bed, you have to change that. Or you have to change, say, the pillowcase every night and wash it. 
that's that's the type of night sweat that uh, that that you would want to talk to your physician about. But if you're not having any other problems, you know that might be uh, that's probably not not anything to worry about more than of a nuisance. Okay, yes, because when it happens, it is like uh, the the last thing you described. It just soaks everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd get your physician to check you out and just to make sure there's not anything else going on. There are some other conditions, too, some endocrine con- conditions that could cause that. Uh, but, you know, if they don't find anything on any other uh, problem on history or physical, they may want to run up some just basic lab tests. But um, you may just be sort of programmed that way, particularly if it's been happening all your life. Okay, thank you very much. Sure, thanks for calling. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about sleep today. Let's go to Heidi in Gulfport. Good morning, Heidi. Are you there, Heidi? Yes. Oh, thank you for waiting. Oh, no problem. Hi. Uh, I just had a question about um, what, uh, how many hours a night you recommend sleep for younger toddlers, like um, say five to seven years old? Yeah. Is it the general, you know, sort of accepted eight hours a night, or should it be, you know, more than that or less? Yeah, we we tend to, yeah, you're, that's a great thing to bring up is that every age has a little bit different requirements. So, you know, when you go from a newborn with about, you know, up to 18 hours a day, uh, that they they require to sleep, and, of course, it is broken up, that gradually that decreases with time. We tend to underestimate how much a toddler or a preschooler would need. Uh, so if we're talking about, you know, anywhere um, from uh, 12 months of age all the way up to around three, most of the time they're going to require about anywhere from 10 to 14 hours of sleep a, a night. And usually those toddlers that age, they may still be getting a nap, and that does count. So it's not the total nighttime minus everything else. It's, it's you know, it's additive. But a preschooler, you know, three to five years of age, generally about 10 hours is probably a good thing to shoot for. But you have to keep in mind that some kids may require a little bit more. So anywhere from 10 to 14, uh, I, that's that's what I would shoot for. Uh, and consistency. It's so difficult, you know, with our all the kinds of things that families have going on sometimes uh, to have a consistent pattern to that, particularly at times when you, you tend to neglect it. Uh, vacations, uh, summertime when they're not in, you know, not in daycare, not in school as much. Um, that there's lots of times like that that we sort of neglect that sleep. Things, right. things, you know, but the irritability. If you notice that your child's more irritable, or that it's really easy for them to fall asleep during the daytime, that's one of the first things that I would ask: is are they getting enough sleep at night? But generally speaking, about I would shoot for around 10, 10 hours a night. But there, you know, there's some kids that may need a little less. But but you'll know they'll wake up at uh, six a.m. every time and uh, wake you up. <laughs> right. Well, that's yeah. That's kind of what happens. But yeah. I'm specifically talking about a five year old. I wasn't sure if he was maybe getting too much sleep. He usually is sleeping about from seven thirty at night till six a.m. Yeah, that's. I wasn't sure if that was kind of too. No, that's not too much. That's not too much. I mean, that's right in there in that range, you know, up to about fourteen hours. So uh, that's that's right in there. So well, we're good then. Thank you so much. Sounds like you sounds like you're doing a good job. Thank you for calling. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Let's go to Roger in Florence. Good morning, Roger. Are you there, Roger? I'm here. All right. Thank you for calling this morning. What's your question? 
Well, I didn't realize you were addressing things that beyond uh, youngsters. I'm one of your calls, so I'm an oldster. Okay. But for 20 years, I've had leg cramps, foot cramps, and go to the doctor every year, tell him every year, and he, you know, said drink more water and, you know, try a little quinine pills and stuff like that. Nothing, nothing prevents it. It's, it's uh, at least uh, six out of every seven nights. And uh, they've gotten a lot more severe as I got into my 70s and now I'm in my late 70s. The, uh, the foot cramps are so familiar that I can feel them coming on and I'll just kind of straighten my ankles out and sometimes avoid them. <clears throat> but if I'm not careful, they'll really cramp me. I have to get up and uh, stumble around until my ankles unlock. And then, you know, go back to bed. And sometimes that'll happen several times. But late in the last few months, it seems, the cramps have gone all the way up into my thighs and just terrible, terrible, unrelenting cramps for five minutes at a time. And, and I get up and can't walk very well, but I just kind uh, I think it seems to help to get vertical. Uh, I have to. I can't stand it lying in bed. Sure. So I'll get up. So this is disturbing sleep, and for other reasons, I'm not getting enough sleep, so that may be a factor, but I think it's more a result than a contributor. But anyway, that's my, that's my question. I sure. hope we discuss that for those of us who have leg cramps. Yeah. Yeah, Roger, are you having some uncontrollable movements too at night? Uh, do you your legs? Is it just do you have an urge to move them with those cramps? I do, but not always. I mean, that's, okay. that's not uh, that's not necessarily a precursor each each time. I'll just I'll just suddenly you know get a cramp. Sure, and it doesn't necessarily go with that. But I do have restless legs. Yeah, that, and that's sort of where I was going with that too. It's it's frequently accompanied with uh, complaints of of cramps, and a lot of these things are called parasomnias. So these are things that happen while you're asleep, and they can be neuromuscular in origin. In other words, there's a there's something that's going on between the nerves to those muscles, and uh, lots of different things can cause that. You mentioned checking some lab work for probably looking at electrolyte abnormalities. Certainly, there may be some conditions that, that cause a depletion of potassium or magnesium in the body. Uh, and uh, there's lots of different things that could do that. A lot of medications that can do that, too, as side effects. Uh, so if your physician's sort of you know ruled out those kinds of things, then I think you have to start looking for things like restless legs. And some people who are, who are treated for restless leg syndrome, there are a couple of medications that can help. Uh, they their cramps that they they have with their, their legs do get better. Hydration status uh, has a lot to do with it. So if you're not drinking a lot of water during the day, that can sort of set you up for that uh, that later on. So uh, yeah, there's the, the problem with leg cramps is there's so many different things that can cause that. Everybody sort of jumps on the potassium or magnesium bandwagon, but it's it's pretty simple to to do those tests. And if they're normal, if your levels are normal then, you know, there's really no need to, to take excess potassium or magnesium. Um, other medical conditions are associated with those at times. So diabetes, you can have a lot of fluid shifts in and out of the muscles. 
so really good tight control of those other other things. But um, you know, people used to use, and this is this was really common with our veteran uh, population at the VA of quinine. So quinine used to be used quite often for leg cramps. It's pretty successful, uh, you know, anecdotally in in in. Uh, preventing those we've we've cut back on that because of potential side effects with quinine over the years but um but um i would i would try to do those kinds of things regular exercise during the day not right before you go to sleep uh can help uh you know sort of retrain those muscles how to deal with excess lactic acid and other things that could cause cramps but uh if you're not if you get to that point i might even uh, you know ask your physician if you could see a a neurologist or a neuromuscular specialist to see if they could weigh in on it because it can be pretty debilitating and as you mentioned you know it can mess with your sleep to the point where it just about drives you crazy that's a real thorough discussion i appreciate that very much i've actually tried all of the things that you've mentioned except the neurosuscitation you know yeah. that approach uh but the general practitioner or the internal medicine doctors tried all those things one one two last points one is that a uh, a uh, a um orthopedic guy said oh well, i just take i get up and take a spoonful of mustard and it cuts out yeah the yeah and, and i don't yeah, and the, 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 I've actually looked at that that a uh, couple of studies on mustard and pickle juice is another one that people do, and uh, it, it's interesting. It doesn't cause any problems, so you can do it. For some people, it seems to work, and they've really looked at this with athletes, you know, that are on the field. Uh, it doesn't cause any electrolyte shifts or anything like that, but, uh, hey, when you're at that point, it's worth a try. So <laughs> mustard it is. So thanks, Roger, for that call. We're going to take another short break, and when we come back, we're going to go to Sarah. Uh, who has a question. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about sleep today. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Mississippi Public Broadcasting presents Melvin Williams' Down Home Gospel. With this show, Melvin Williams' Down Home Gospel, I'm kind of going to take you on a little journey. You're going to get vintage, traditional gospel music right here on MPB. Premiering March 4th at 6 p.m. on MPB Television. Nora McInerney isn't interested in small talk. I want the big talk. 
So her podcast cuts right to the heart of human tragedy. Everybody has these kinds of pain, and it's different brands for all of us, but that is a way of connecting. Nora McInerney's podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking, this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about sleep issues in your family and got lots of great questions about different kind of problems that you might be having with sleep and plenty of time for you to ask those questions. You can give us a call this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Sarah who has a question about an 11-year-old. Good morning, Sarah. Hey, good morning. I have uh, an 11-year-old son. We have been through a pretty upsetting divorce in the last few years. Uh, well, well, three years ago, exactly. And this child will not sleep in his own bed all night long. He, uh, some nights he won't even attempt to go into his own bed. And it's I just don't think it's healthy, and I have no idea where to begin to help him to be comfortable sleeping alone. Yeah, did did do you have problems with him before the divorce? Um, no. Okay, yeah. No. So that's now he is in therapy. We do uh-huh. we have a therapist. Good. And he's doing the therapy um, to handle you know other issues, and. But just the sleep is something I haven't brought up with a therapist. And I heard this on the radio this morning. I was like, wow, I always trust you guys. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so so this is it's fairly common. So one of the things we talk about with any kind of sleep disorder or sleep interruption, you know, or you know, if you think about it from a child's perspective, a lot of children this is a type of separation, or at least it should be. So a lot of people have you know that that infant in the room with them. Um, no data on that that being really protective, except in some minor situations, but if they're in another room by themselves, that means that that child, as they get older, they have to do certain things. Number one, they don't feel the same protection that they might feel if you're there with them, so they don't have that presence of you with them. Uh, and then there's all kinds of other things that goes through a young child's mind. All those little noises are, you know, just become accentuated. They don't have any other distractions in there. Hopefully they don't have any distractions. Um, so, there, you know, at this age, I think this needs to be sort of incorporated into what you're doing with the child's therapy. Um, I, it sounds like that's probably what's going on. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, there's there's not any guilt with that or anything, but it's it's something that's common if you have a a disruption in, in something going on with the family. I'll usually ask, is there anything different in the family um, that, you know, all of a sudden the child, this 11-year-old, is not wanting to sleep in their own bed and they're wanting to sleep with you? 
Uh, and usually you can tease out something like that. And it, it uh, it's probably has caused, you know, him to want to sleep uh, with, with you or with somebody uh, with him. Now, as far as a strategy, it, there's tons of different things that you could do. Um, you know, uh, being able to sleep alone by yourself with all this, you want to have a lot of assurance, certainly talking through things with an 11 year old, they're old enough to, you can talk through a lot of these things. Right. If they don't feel comfortable talking to you, which some, some kids don't with their parents, then that's the reason I said, you probably want to integrate this, you know, with your therapist about it. Okay. And, um, it, yeah, the one some of the cruelest things you can do. Let me tell you what not to do is okay, to yes. is to say uh, you need to get over this. You need to just go in your room. That's not reassuring oh, to a no. child. And yeah, but on the other no. hand, you don't want to give in all the time. You know, mm-hmm. if if uh, you want to set the the uh, uh, expectations up front of what's going to happen at night, and mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, sort of ease into that. But I would talk to you, since you're already talking to uh, to a therapist about this, which is a great idea. 11-year-olds don't always verbalize their feelings. They don't even know right. their own feelings. They've got too much going on as it is. So yeah. having having somebody work with the whole family on that is important. And yeah. um, I, I think you need to sort of incorporate that into a plan about how to, to go in that direction. Okay. Probably not going to happen, you know, over a few days or a few sure. months even, but it's something to work towards. But this is, if you think about it, you know, kids manifest anxiety in their own emotional lives in so many different ways. And this is one way that they're doing it. So this is a communication that he has to you that, you know, it needs to be worked through. Uh, but you already have a great, you know, setup to do that, a great foundation in it with a therapist. So I, w- I would sort of incorporate that in there. Okay, uh, that's great advice. One more question, and sure. I'll hang up. And I don't know if you want to address this now, but do you know anything about EMDR therapy? Is it something that you would suggest for children um, who have been through something traumatic? Yeah, so so I'm not I, I'm not fully versed in that. There are a couple of different options who've been you know for kids who've been through trauma. Um, so behavioral cognitive behavioral therapy works really well. I'm not a big fan of medications. No, um, me either. Right. So and in, in most of the time, if you have a good therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist who's trained in that and trained in, in child psychology uh, or psychiatry, uh, most of the time that's where you're going to get your your best. Um, um, uh, results with that type of therapy. And there's all kinds of different things that you can use uh, in doing that. But talking it through, play therapy is really good, uh, you know, in younger kids uh, to sort of touch base on those emotional issues. The, the, the most important thing is the experience with the person who's doing it and just to right. talk to them about that. Certainly you want to do your homework on it, but um, I have a great therapist. I'm so thankful good, for her. And she great. incorporates the plan, the sandbox, uh, uh, sandbox play therapy yeah. a lot. So, yeah. okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for calling, Sarah. Certainly, uh, that's a that's a big issue with sleep. And, uh, uh, you know, with adults, too, if you think about it, you have a traumatic event in your life. It certainly affects sleep. It's one of the things we screen for depression, both in, in adolescents, uh, kids and, uh, and adults, is uh, changes in your sleep. So certainly our emotional lives can affect our sleep patterns uh, and and what happens with those. All right, let's go to Evelyn in Ocean Springs. Good morning, Evelyn. Good morning, Dr. Stewart. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. 
I am calling. Um, I've had uh, years worth of issues with my daughter. And my question to you is whether or not there is a sleep specialist or sleep doctor somewhere in the area that um, you could recommend. I'm finding that um, there is an anxiety component, and she's been in therapy also sort of, uh, you know, related to um, some of the issues that you were just discussing with your previous caller. Um, but a lot of the doctors, uh, it, it seems like the sleep specialists or people interested in sleep are, are focused more on an adult sleep apnea um, right. kind of issue. And so I, if, I don't know what, what I, we've, we've discussed sleep hygiene and um, a, a lot of the uh, sort of common sense uh, things that, that you might consider, but I, I feel like we need to take it up a, a level. Yeah, so sleep specialists, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier, one of our, one of our earlier callers, uh, they deal with all kinds of different issues that, around sleep um, because, um, and, and there are sleep specialists that are trained just to treat adults. There are those who, who are trained to, uh, to treat children uh, and then both. So you have a lot of different different ways that you become a sleep specialist. So you can have somebody who's in internal medicine as a background that goes into it. So they're an adult physician, uh, adult psychiatrist, uh, pulmonary uh, physicians, pediatric pulmonary physicians. They can be trained in sleep medicine. So that sort of uh, that background where you come from and the specific training that you got will sort of dictate, you know, who they treat and how they they what they're interested in. And you're you're exactly right. There are some physicians that'll say, you know. I really just deal with obstructive sleep apnea, which is unfortunately really common because of our obesity problems, not just in adults, but in, in kids or central sleep apnea. Uh, there's lots of other sleep uh, disorders. Uh, narcolepsy uh, is, is an example of one. Uh, so there's there's lots of things out there. So you want a sleep specialist that really feels comfortable doing those those things. Now some of them do the more organic, what we call organic or or uh, medical problems, where you would treat that either with a device or maybe with medications in some situations. A lot of sleep specialists just sort of gravitate toward treating patients with that. Um, it sounds like that you'd want maybe even a multidisciplinary. Um, uh, treatment plan where you have maybe not just one person, uh, but multiple people. And I, you know, I think the world of psychologists, particularly around sleep, and then if you've got a chronic problem with a preteen up through a teen, uh, a a psychologist or an adolescent specialist, uh, they have great training in in sleep uh, sleep medicine for kids and, and adolescents. That's that's some areas that you want to incorporate into that and. Um, you know, talking to your, your sleep specialist up front is probably the best thing. I am unaware on the golf court of anybody around your area. I do know we have a couple of people here at UMC, uh, that, you know, in Jackson that, that, uh, are very comfortable with, with pediatric and adolescent sleep, uh, medicine. So you may want to check that out on the, on the main UMC website, but, um, it, there are national organizations, so if you look at pediatric sleep medicine, and they may give a list of people if you hadn't already checked that out. But certainly, there's a lot of different, you know, a lot of different things out there that that uh, some physicians feel a little bit more comfortable with uh, tackling. Okay, very good. 
Well, I thank you so much. Sure. Thank you for calling, Evelyn. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to go to Sue in Beaumont, who has a question about sleep. Talking about sleep issues this morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, you can give us a call with your questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. You're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Hey, y'all, it's Felder Rushing. I'm the Gestalt Gardener, and I am so pleased to join y'all every week talking about gardening. You know, you don't have to be anybody or join anything to be part of this party. All we're going to do is talk about gardening and garden-related stuff and maybe a little psychology working in at the same time. Let's have a lot of fun on the Gestalt Gardener. Fridays at 9 and Saturdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. You work hard to offer a high-quality, unique product, and you need an audience that appreciates this. MPB listeners go out of their way to find diverse perspectives and award-winning news and programming. Make our audience your audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mbbonline.org. Kids and teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're talking about sleep issues this morning. Lots of lots of good questions from you about sleep. That's just one of those things that you need it. When you don't have it, you really understand the importance of it. You sort of take it for granted in your kids or yourself if you're if you're getting a lot of it. Let's go to our next caller. Is Sue in Beaumont? Good morning, Sue. Hi. How are you, Dr. Jimmy? Good. Thank you for calling. I'd like to ask you a question. I've often wondered this may not have anything directly to do with sleep, but I've often wondered why 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 people put a newborn infant in, in a nursery room by itself when when that's that's on, that only happens since I guess since civilized society because in since time began, you know, the baby was kept with the mother so it could nurse whenever it wanted to and and then when did it become normal to put a child alone in a room by itself. That just seems so odd if you think about it. Yeah, there's... newborn. Yeah, so so that's probably, you know, cultural differences in that. And you can look worldwide, there's lots of different differences in, in how cultures, uh, you know, raise raise their children. And um, so that's probably around the 50s or 60s when you started seeing a, a, a movement away from that where the, the child had their own room. Um 
Now, there's no evidence that that is detrimental to the child later on, either psychologically. Uh, certainly, uh, there are some reasons to uh, that you wouldn't want to uh, what's called co-sleeping, though. Uh, we know we got some, some great data. There was a, an increase in, in SIDS, Southern Infant Death Syndrome, throughout the, the 60s up through the 70s. And uh, there was a national campaign to look at this um, to see what were some of the, the associated risk factors for that uh, in the first few months of life. And one of the things that we found out is is the way that you put that baby to sleep does matter so that, that you want them to be sleeping on their back. Uh, you don't want to have a lot of fluffy materials in the way of the mouth, so they don't need to be up against, uh, you know, a lot of the bumper pads or a lot of the uh, um, uh, comforters that you see in a lot of cribs. Uh, they That can actually uh, be a risk factor for sudden infant death. And then also, uh, you know, unfortunately, I've I've actually seen patients in the emergency room uh, that uh, they co-sleep. They had the baby in the bed with them, and the baby died because they were up against them and, and couldn't breathe. Uh, so that that is associated with higher rates of, of sudden infant death. So you don't want them in the bed with you. Uh, sir- I just remember when, when my children were infants, I had a bassinet right next sure. to my bed, and I would just yeah. reach over and put my hand on their back and feel them, see if they were covered, see if they were breathing yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's no, there's no nothing wrong with that at all, Sue. I, it, I would say one thing, I actually had it on the, right before I uh, came over today, uh, I had uh, one of our internal medicine residents that has a four-month-old, and they were like, how do you get a four-month-old to sleep during the night? <laughs> uh, so, so there are some things that we tend to do that can sometimes interfere with that. One of them is uh, if a child, you know, children, all of us, uh, we have patterns in our lives, and babies uh, are just as susceptible to those patterns. Um, There is, you know, allowing them to go to sleep on their own uh, is really important. So that's an important trait. And a lot of the problems that some parents have with the child not going to sleep, you know, to the point where they have to just hold them, and every time they put them down, they wake back up has to do with that that initiation of sleep. So when your child's sleepy, it's probably a good idea to to put them down to sleep. And whether that's in the bed right next to you, you know, the bassinet right next to you or in another room, that's that's okay. Um, But, you know, put them on their back. Let them um, sort of self-initiate the sleep, so they don't have to be totally asleep before you put them in there. Can I ask you a question? Sure. It would seem that a baby back could regurgitate and strangle to death. Well, wouldn't it be better to put them on their side? Uh, actually, actually not, because they can roll onto their stomach that way. And, uh, you know, so so putting them on their back, you know, that's always a question we have. Great question to bring up is, you know, when they regurgitate, will they strangle on that? So a baby with an intact immune, I mean, attack, intact uh, neurological system, they don't have any other problems. They don't have any problem doing that. And, um, you know, you, you can, you've seen babies, every baby refluxes, that stuff comes out the nose, the mouth, they may cough a little bit, which coughing is a good, healthy reflex to do, uh, you know, for them to clear out those airways. But there's not an increased risk of them doing that rather than being on the side. Now, when a baby can roll over, it doesn't matter. I mean, you don't want to just keep going back in there and putting them on their back. But that, those initiation things that we talked about are very important. We got uh, time, I think, for one more uh, caller. So we're going to go to Linda in Port Gibson. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Thank you for calling. Yes, yes, uh, I have problems sleeping in the dark, and 
Is there anything that uh, you can tell for anyone who has that problem? Yeah, so there are some people that, you know, because of behavioral things, sleeping in the dark can can be something that they have a problem with. I would say if you want to do like a, a light, uh, there are certain wavelengths of light, so more of an amber color to it, not the bluer wavelengths are good. Uh, so you might want to check into that. Not too much, and then trying to have good sleep uh, behavior beforehand. Not a whole lot of things are going to keep you up, but... Um, you know, you might want to work with uh, with a psychologist on that, too. There may be some other things that are keeping you awake. Thanks to all our callers today. That's all the time we have for today on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. want to thank everybody for calling in. And we're going to go uh, to uh, NPR's Here and Now coming up next. You can tune in next week at 11 o'clock for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens.